Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to uh, prepare us for communion today. Obviously, you saw the, the cups on your, on your seat there with the wafer and the juice beneath it. And, you know, we kind of use these here and it's uh, nice and sanitary and it's kind of easy to distribute and things of this nature. Um, but let's not let this packaging take away from the sacredness and the, the reverence that we should hold communion in. And... Um, the way we do communion here is we don't just try to slap it on the end of a service or something. Uh, what we like to do is to kind of prepare our hearts to receive. And so I want to take the next 20, 25 minutes or so to prepare our hearts to be able to receive communion in such a way that it not only is an expression of our faith, but it's also uh, a time to receive based on how we've prepared our hearts. I'm going to take us on a little journey I want you to kind of uh, stick with me. I know some of the stuff I'm going to present to you, you might initially think to yourself, okay, well, how is this tying in with communion? I'm just going to ask you to trust me. Let me kind of build this thing, and then we'll put a bow and wrap it up at the end. Okay? One of the greatest teachings that the Lord Jesus ever taught to his disciples was based on a question that they asked him, based on a request that they made. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so they said, he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I want to take you to one particular phrase in this portion of Scripture here. In verse 2, Jesus says, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he adds this, On earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you may have heard me talk about this in the past. Uh, I, I always allude to this when we talk about the subject of prayer, or, or particularly when we're talking about this particular portion of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. The entire reason for us to pray, the goal that we're supposed to accomplish when we pray, is that we're going to take a situation on earth, and through our prayers, through uh, reminding God of the promises that he's made in the word of God, that we would change that situation so it matches up with what's going on in heaven rather than what's going on on earth. Yes? If we have a situation that's bad on the earth, we don't want to reinforce that situation. What we want to do is change that situation through prayer. Yes? Now, now just take a little side journey here. Give me about 30 seconds to, to maybe throw this in because this, I think, is going to help some people. If your prayers sound something like this, Oh, God... The doctors told me this is really bad, and you know, I could feel I'm getting worse already, and if God, if you don't help me, I'm going to die. You are not praying to change the situation on earth as it is in heaven. You just reinforce on earth as it is on earth. 
Okay? Now, if we pray with the mindset of, no, God gave us, Jesus taught us that we're to pray to change this situation so it lines up, your prayer is going to sound something like this. Father, uh, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your word and for your promises. And Lord, uh, the doctors have said this is what they see in the natural. But your word says that you are the God who heals us. Uh, you promised healing is, is the children's bread, belongs to us. And you also said in Isaiah 53 that by the stripes on Jesus' back, I've been healed. So Father, I thank you that my healing begins right now. I thank you that it progresses until it's completed 100%. And so I can declare with all boldness that by the stripes on Jesus' back, I am healed. You see the difference? One is you're reinforcing what you see in the natural. The other one is being very aware of the change that needs to take place so that your circumstance now lines up with what's going on in heaven. So now the emphasis is on earth as it is in heaven. And we see, if we follow through the word of God, that it's always been the dream of the heart of God to get heaven back on earth. Okay? Uh, I want to remind you of Deuteronomy chapter 11 here. Verse 21, God speaking through Moses to the people of Israel, say to them that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. He's saying here that we can experience heaven on earth. Now, what I want to bring to you today, this short period of time that we have, is the fact that God has created for us certain scenarios where heaven and earth would meet. And I want to take you through some of them. Number one is in the garden. In the garden, we see in Genesis chapter 3, we're talking about the Garden of Eden, the original creation here on earth, that it says here in verse 8, and they, speaking of Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And then it goes on to talk about the rest of what's here. But the point I want to make to you is this. Obviously from Scripture, we come to the conclusion that there was a specific time of day that God Almighty Himself would come in person and visit with and spend time with and fellowship with and interact with Adam and Eve in the garden. So what happened? God designed the garden to be this place where heaven and earth overlap. Could you say that with me? Overlap. And when something overlaps and they blend, it's hard to distinguish one from the other. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way God created this earth originally. Now, if you and I were there before the fall, what, what, is, what do I mean when I say that? When we were there before Adam and Eve took of the fruit and partake of the fruit that God told them not to, we would not be able to distinguish, are we in heaven or are we on earth? Because the two of them overlapped. And so Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God, not realizing that they were in this place of blend. They were in this place of overlapping. And so it was a place where God ordained it to be a place of communion, coming together, interacting, a place where God and man would meet and enjoy each other's presence. It was designed to bring heaven and earth together, a place of peace and contentment, a place where all their needs were met, a place where there was no sorrow in the original creation. There was no, no tears because of God's presence being in that place. And then sin came into the picture. And heaven's presence withdrew from the earth, and earth became a very dark place, a place of toil, a place of sweat, a place of oppression and disease, and finally, a place where death reigned. 
But you know, you can't help but notice that before sin came into the world, there was no fear. There was no intimidation. Adam and Eve were secure in their identity uh, in the Father. In fact, we see that when, when, when heaven and earth overlap, man was so caught up in God's presence that he lost sight of his own nakedness. He was not self-aware. He was very God-conscious, very, very aware of the presence of God in that place where heaven and earth overlaps. In his presence, there is no identity crisis. There was no gender confusion. There was no contending for who would be ruler. There was no oppression. Only righteousness, peace, and joy. Here on earth, we're talking about on earth, in an earthly place. Why? Because heaven and earth blended together. Heaven and earth overlapped. Now, isn't it amazing that at the end of the age, the culmination of time, heaven and earth are once again going to overlap in this final gesture of God's love. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride ordained, or, or adorned for her husband. Thank you. And John says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear and from their eyes. And there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain for the former things that passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, talking to John, write, for these words are true and faithful. Where did this take place? <laughs> You're afraid to answer. It tells us here that this took place when New Jerusalem comes to the earth and overlaps. And so these things that we normally would say happen in heaven, well, they're happening in a place where heaven and earth are joined together. Amen? Amen. So, where's the next place that we see this happen? The next place we see this happen is in the Old Testament in a place called the tabernacle. Now, don't let that word throw you. Tabernacle is just a fancy word for a tent. And this was a portable worship place that God commanded Moses and the people of Israel to create. He designed it. He gave them the plan, told them what materials to use. They built this portable tabernacle, this portable place of worship. And they would take it with them from place to place. You know, they're on that journey uh, from uh, 40 years from, from the Red Sea until they reached the Promised Land. And during that time, they would spend years at one place or sometimes months at one place. And all of a sudden, the glory of God would lift up and it'd be time for them to move to the next place. And they would take that portable place and bring it to the next location. But we see something interesting about this. In Exodus chapter 25, God is speaking to Moses about this tabernacle, this temporary meeting place, and he said, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover. Yeah, let me just paraphrase this. God says to Moses, you know that box that I told you to design? You know that golden chest that I told you to design? I know that I told you to build it. I told you what kind of wood to use. I told you to overlay with gold. I also said that I want you to make two cherubim, which are angels. And I want you to place them on the top of that. You remember Indiana Jones? Okay, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, well, apart from that movie, that exists. I didn't say existed. I said exists. There's one in heaven and there's one on the earth. 
And God said, from above that thing, in between those angels, and these angels with their wings extended, well, some versions show it this way, others show it back. Between those angels, God said, there in that place, I will meet with you. So what happened there? In that place, in that central location, which eventually then when the temple was built, it was built as this 15 by 15 by 15 room. In there was stored the Ark of the Covenant, and the priests were allowed to go into that room once a year. So what do we have here? In the tabernacle and in the temple, we have this place where what? Heaven and earth overlapped. Now, if we were in that place when God's presence was there, and Joshua was with Moses, you wouldn't be able to distinguish whether you were in heaven or on the earth. An awesome place. Now, later on, when the temple, permanent temple is built in Jerusalem, Solomon's getting ready to dedicate this building. Now, mind you now, the reason why a tabernacle is needed and the reason why the temple is needed is because, you see, in the garden, they could meet face to face, but then sin came in. You remember we talked about that? And now from that point in time on, if you're going to come into the presence of God, you better have some blood with you. Because we could only come because of a sacrifice. And so the priest would sacrifice an animal and bring that blood with him into the Holy of Holies. And just as a side note, you remember when Jesus rose from the dead, when Mary tried to reach out and grab him, he said, don't touch me, I have not yet ascended to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. What was he doing? The same thing that the priest did in the tabernacle. He had his blood that needed to be presented on the altar in heaven. And he's on his way to present that blood, the culmination of your salvation and my salvation. Are you, are you getting this? But on the earth here now, on the earth here now, there is a place. And there was a time where heaven and earth overlapped. And you see, in that place is where you experience the supernatural. But now look what happens on the day when the temple is going to be dedicated. Solomon's going to dedicate this temple now. And it says here in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 that all these priests and musicians and singers and they're dressed in fine linen and they're, they've been training and they've been practicing and, and the singers have been, been, been getting together and, and all of a sudden here's the day and it says they were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. 120 priests sounding trumpets. How many priests? Hold on to that number because it's going to be important in the future. How many priests were there? 120. And the trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by the trumpets and cymbals and other instruments. And the singers raised their voices and praised the Lord and sang, He is good and His love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. That says here, filled with the cloud, not a cloud, filled with the cloud. And that's the presence of God. You remember the presence of God in the Old Testament back in Exodus? That's how they knew when it was time to pick up and go. God would appear to them in a cloud by day and then a pillar of fire by night. And that very cloud that had led them from the Red Sea into the walls of Jericho was now filling this temple. And it says that when they filled, when that cloud filled the temple and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But you see, they were prepared. They were prepared. They didn't come into that place with all their burdens. They didn't come into that place with all their worries. They didn't come into that place with all their complaints. They didn't come into that place with all their grumbling. They didn't come into that place with grudges. They didn't come into that place with unforgiveness. They came into that place prepared. 
and the glory filled the house. And it says the priest couldn't even stand. That's our praise and worship. Our praise and worship has the potential to produce the exact same experience. We've seen it, and we'll see it again. So, 1 Kings chapter 8, recounting the same incident, says the same exact thing. The priest, the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled that house. So what happened in that place? There was a place that God ordained. Remember, it was his idea to build that tabernacle. It was his idea to build that temple. He gave them specific, detailed instructions. Told them exactly what materials to use. Because God is very much into creating atmospheres. Did you ever consider that? He's very much, he knows how to create the atmosphere where his spirit can be very active. And so in that place where God ordained that heaven and earth should overlap, the supernatural and the miraculous become a reality. It's in that atmosphere that we experience the depth of God's love, the depth of his grace, and the, the richness of his provision. It's in that atmosphere. Remember, in, in Philippians chapter four, Paul wrote, and my God shall supply all of your needs. How? According to what? His riches where? In where? In, glory. in where? In glory. That's where it is. Amen. That's where it is. That's where we see the supernatural take place when we step into that atmosphere where heaven and earth overlap. Don't discount this. Say, well, this sounds spooky. It sounds... No, it's not. It's very easy. It's very easy. Solomon prayed that God's people would come and repent of their sins and pray from that place. He said they would, they would be answered Swiftly, That place, the temple became a place of communion between God and man. The place where sin was covered until Jesus would come. Place that would cover over our sins until the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of this world, would show up. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says this, Solomon praying, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence, in your presence, in your presence this day. He's not a far off God. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place, where, this place where you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer of your servant pray, prayers towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. What's the lesson learned? When you and I pray from that atmosphere where heaven and earth overlap, results are guaranteed and they're swift. We need to take time to create that atmosphere. It's possible. The next place where heaven and earth overlap, we said, let's, let's go through this again. The first place was where? The garden. The garden. Where was the first place? Thank you. Second place? Tabernacle slash the temple. Now, the next place might surprise you. Because the next place we find in Scripture where heaven and earth overlap is you, the church. Turn to somebody and say, you're the church. And let's straighten something out. Let's take a little, let's take a little, let's take a few minutes to straighten something out. I don't want to assume that everybody here, everyone that's watching this, 
understands the significance of this. Probably 80% of this congregation is made up of people that came out of the same type of church that I was raised in, where the church was a building. That concept does not exist in the scriptures. The church did not have buildings in that first hundred, actually the first 300 to 400 years. The church did not exist in buildings. The church existed in homes, in fields, in forests, in places outside where they met. And so the scriptures never refer to the church as a building. It always refers to the church as people. You are the church. Tell somebody, say, you the church. And so now this next place where heaven and earth overlap, where heaven and earth blend, is the church. And the church is born under very supernatural circumstances. I need you to listen quickly because I need to move along fast here. The event that I believe that signified the birth of the church is found during the crucifixion. In John chapter 19, it says, at the custom of the Roman soldiers were that if they wanted someone on the cross to die quickly, and they needed to have these bodies off the cross, because remember the day of the crucifixion, that night at sunset is the beginning of Passover, and according to uh, the Jewish law, that bodies, dead bodies could not be displayed during Passover. And so if the Roman soldiers did not dispose of these bodies quickly, they probably would have had a massive riot erupt in Jerusalem. And so they're under pressure, and, and so the order is given, get these bodies, get them dead quick. And so it says that, that they went and they broke the legs of the first one, and they broke the legs of the one on the other side of Jesus. But then in, in verse 33 it says, but when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. And so they, they, there was no need for them to break his legs. But verse 34 says, but instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now that's significant. Because I believe with all my heart, that was when the church was birthed. Water and blood are significant to us as the church. The blood of Jesus, it says, his son cleanses us from all sin in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, that he might, he might take the church, his bride, and sanctify, set her apart for the rest of the filth in this world and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish, that we should have no marks, that we should be pure. Now, just as Adam carried Eve in his side. You remember the story of Adam and Eve? Adam was created first. And then God says it's not good for him to be alone. He needs a companion. He needs a bride. And so God puts Adam to sleep and takes a rib out of his where? Side and creates Eve. And so in a very real way, we can say very accurately that Adam carried his bride in his side. I believe Jesus carried his bride in his side. And when that spear came in, the blood and the water rushed out. And out of his heart came the church. Amen? Amen? Now, most people say, well, well, you know, the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. No, I disagree. And that's fine. We can agree, disagree. I believe that the church was introduced to the world on the day of Pentecost, but it was birthed out of the crucifixion. And so, in Acts chapter 1, it says, in those days, 
What day is he talking about? He's talking about the 10 days between Jesus' ascension. Remember, he's risen from the dead on, on Resurrection Sunday, which was a Jewish feast. 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. You follow me? And then the next 10 days between that day and the day of Pentecost are the days that, that's spoken of here in Acts. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the numbers of names was about? Where did we hear that number before? The priests at the dedication of the temple. So when God introduced the temple, the place where heaven and earth would overlap, God explodes on the scene and this cloud of his glory fills the temple and the priest can't even minister. And when the Holy Spirit introduces the church, the Holy Spirit explodes on the scene in a very supernatural way. Look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one, one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Can you say that with me? And they were all filled with what? With who? The Holy Spirit. And when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to what? Speak, go ahead and say it, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so we see another supernatural explosion of heaven and earth overlapping at the birth of the church. 120, sounding, speaking in languages that they'd never spoken before. And the people around them understanding them and, and being just amazed at this demonstration of God. The priests, when they got up and stood up to blow those trumpets, 120 of them ushered in the glory of God. And I'm telling you, <laughs> if we can get 120 that really have a heart to see the Spirit of God and just come and fill this place. We have so many more than 120. Could you imagine if all of us would get up one Sunday and just forget about everything that you're bothered with, forget about your problems, forget about the pressures of life and come into this place and open up your mouth like a trumpet and just declare the goodness of God and just declare the grace of God, declare His wonders. My God, what would happen in this place? Hallelujah. Amen. So, we're getting ready to take communion. And we just discovered that we are the church, the place where the Spirit of God dwells on the earth. He's not in a building. He's not in a structure. We no longer have to travel to Jerusalem to see. We'd love to go to just experience what's there, but we no longer have to go there to encounter God. His Spirit lives within us. And so Paul, maybe now what he says makes a little bit more sense. He says, don't you know, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Amen? And we carry him. So in a very real sense, listen to me, church, please. Look at here, look here, look here, look here. So we're just winding this up now. I don't want you to miss out on this. Now, we, we saw that the garden was a place where heaven and earth overlapped. We saw that the temple, the tabernacle, and, and the temple in Jerusalem were the place where heaven and earth overlapped. And in a, real, a very real sense, at the cross, heaven and earth overlapped and, and birthed the church. And now we see 
that you and I are the place where heaven and earth overlap. Are you listening to me and getting this, church? You are the place now where heaven and earth overlaps. And, and glory to God for that. But listen, are we living up to that responsibility? Because now, this world that's outside of these four walls that have never experienced God, the only way they're going to experience heaven is if they come in contact with someone who has heaven and earth overlapping in their lives. If they're going to experience Jesus, it's going to be because they come in contact with someone who's willing to share what's on the inside. And Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, was preparing his disciples to step into an entirely new realm. He was preparing them to become a new species of human being. What is that species? That species is the born-again man, the born-again woman. The person who is in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because they had made a declaration of faith from their heart that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they believe that He died on the cross to pay for our sins and they believe that God raised Him from the dead and therefore the Spirit of God at that point comes to live on the inside of you very much like on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to this earth in a very explosive way. You in a very explosive way, your spirit came alive unto God just like this. And he's preparing them in that night and he offers the bread and said, take, this is my body which is given for you. And then he says, take this blood, the blood of the new covenant. And he's extending them an invitation to come into a new race of beings, of a human being with a flesh and bone and blood body who is dwelt with, inhabited with, the Spirit of God himself. Where does that person live? On the earth. What's he filled with? Heaven. Are you getting this? So today, as we take communion together, I want this to be for us a recognition, a raising of awareness to know, my God, I didn't realize what you did for me at the cross, but you brought me into this place now where now it can be said on earth as it is in heaven. We have his spirit. We speak his word. We pray his promises. And we change things on the earth to line up with what's in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up? We're going to sing first. And then we're going to take communion together. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.